That's where it's supposed to stop. Welcome to this epic battle, Hope Church. I am, uh, I'm David. I'm one of the elders here, and we're continuing in our series of 1 Peter that Ben has been preaching through, uh, imperishable, undefiled, unfading. And uh, I get the opportunity to preach about three or four times a year. Ben will continue in this series next week. So please turn or tap uh, if you have a copy of the scriptures to 1 Peter 1, 13 uh, through 2, 12. We're going to cover some territory today. And if you don't have a copy of the scriptures, don't panic. We'll have those words on the screen. And we'd love to give you a copy of the scriptures on your way out. So that uh, aquatic iguana hatchling did miraculously escape, and escape for good. He made it. Uh, so that's the cliffhanger, but then it started uh, giving YouTube ads and this kind of thing, so we had to cut it. But there's, there's nothing like uh, the beauty and brutality of nature to illustrate our survival in a hostile world. And the crazy thing about uh, that little video that we just watched is that was a hatchling. That lizard had just been born, had been uh, 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 the eggs dropped in the sand and the dirt, and this is the Galapagos Islands, I believe, and, uh, and it, it, it had just come out. It had just opened its eyes. It had just come out of the sand to this kind of reception from a hostile world. And um, in God's common grace, he gave that little newborn lizard the proper fear of danger, and a roadmap to life. God gives us an awe of himself by what he reveals in creation. And then he gives us a roadmap in his word, in 1 Peter, for our miraculous escape. So the text that we're drawn to today is going to discuss holy living in a hostile world. 1 Peter, we're going to start with 1 Peter 1, 13 through 17, which says, Therefore... And the therefore is based upon the gospel that Ben preached about last week that's in this first section. Therefore, since we have this gospel, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So we are exiles. What is an exile? We are exiles. We're aliens and exiles in this world. And this letter to Peter, Peter is writing to exiles. They're not in the promised land. Because of the persecution of Stephen, this great persecution has happened in the promised land, in Jerusalem, and, and shoved all these uh, many Jewish believers, but other uh, believers too, shoved them out into the northern regions of Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia. People were living in caves. They were hiding out. They were being pursued. Uh, they were living in a hostile uh, world, and they're not supposed to be there. And in the same way, we're living in a land that's not our home. We have been prevented from being to our home, to the land that God promises, to heaven, for a period of time. So how do we live our lives in this hostile world? 
I remember uh, after college, uh, I, I worked at a wing restaurant all through college. And each summer during college, I could go back. Spring breaks, Christmases, I could, they had a place for me and I could always go and, and earn money. Uh, and that, that helped pay for college. And once I graduated college and then I tried to apply that degree to the business world and I got a, a job and everybody on the little island where I worked uh, just off the coast of South, South, South Carolina, they would always say, you'll always come back. You had a lot of people that were there that it was very difficult to leave because it was a resort town and life was easy. And they said, oh, you will always come back. I don't care if you're going to college. You'll come back here and wait tables and do the things at restaurants. And I can remember uh, having to then go back as they had predicted after my first year on the job. My first year I sold, uh, I sold industrial equipment and then I thought that I had a job going into the medical industry and that didn't quite work out. And I was back, sure enough, uh, at a wing restaurant picking up uh, people's eating chicken wings off the floor. And I wasn't very happy about that time. And I was helping to set up a, uh, the restaurant for a grand opening. The restaurant had moved, and I kind of had a bad attitude, but there was lots of stuff to do. And my boss pulled me aside, and he said, what's going on with you? And I said, well, I just feel like I'm not supposed to be here. And he looked at me, he says, yes, but you are here, and I need you. I need you to get this whole operation going. And that really stuck with me because it feels a little bit like that's what our heart cry is. We sang in that song, our, the creation is groaning. We're not really supposed to be here. That little lizard's not really supposed to be pursued by all these snakes. Life isn't supposed to be so hard. And that's what this series speaks to, is what do we do with this suffering? What do we do in the in-between time before we get to this promised place where there'll be no more sin and no more suffering and no more shame and no more guilt. What, what, what is this in-between time all about as we're exiles here? So that's who this letter is written to. That's who Peter is writing to. He's also writing to us, to people that are barred from one's native country. And we start out by saying, therefore, again, therefore is the gospel since we have the gospel, it's not just something we know, it's something that we act on. We prepare our minds for action. We, we're sober-minded. We set our hope fully. These are all action statements because there is something for us to do. Uh, further into this text in, in uh, chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and evil and all slander. So there's, there's something for us to do here. There's commandments for us to follow. We are supposed to do some things. We're supposed to have some action. We're supposed to be holy. And it starts, verse 17 says, by, by having the proper kind of fear. So we're supposed to conduct ourselves with fear throughout the time of our exile. And the, the fear of God is something that we talk about at Hope Church. It's something that the Bible talks about. It's something that we need to be tuned into. But it certainly cannot be like a paralyzing terror. We've got a race to run. We've got things to do. We can't be paralyzed by this fear. This is the kind of fear like a, a child has for a good father who says, yes, I want to run to you, God, not away from you. Proverbs 9.10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So this fear is important. We certainly need wisdom in a hostile world. And the fact of the matter is we all have fear. And when we talk about fear, 
Generally, our fear is fear of man. We're, we're consumed and dominated by the fear of man. We have a misplaced fear. We, what do you do with fear? How do you handle fear? We all have fear. I have fear. There's all kinds of things to fear. We're living in a hostile world. It is real. And so what do we do with that fear? Well, if we have a misplaced fear, then we need to replace that fear with the fear of God. I mean, Jesus himself in Matthew 10, 28 says this, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, this sermon is starting off kind of ominous. It's got snakes and hell and warnings, and it's kind of intense. I'm sorry if you're our guest today. But we do, I mean, we believe in these things because the Scripture teaches them. There is a, there is a negative side of Christianity. Uh, I think Tim Keller does a good job of talking about the negative and the positive, that, that many of you may have grown up in a very negative environment, that it's all hellfire and brimstone, and you're going to hell, and there's nothing you can do about it, and the terror of the Lord kind of thing. And you may have been hurt by that. And for others of you, you may have grown up in a very permissive environment where everything goes, and God loves you no matter what you do, and this kind of thing. And so generally what we do is we, we end up pivoting to the other side of whatever our experience uh, was. But with Jesus, you know, Jesus is constantly warning us because he understands the gravity of our situation. The gravity of our situation necessitates Jesus's intervention and his intensity. I mean, if you look at the letters in Revelation, he commends some of the churches and then he says, I have this against you man, Jesus has something against me? Is that, does Christianity hold to that idea? Certainly we, church, don't want to be in a place where Jesus has something against us. I don't want to be in a place personally where Jesus has something against me. And so constantly the scripture challenges to stop, to repent, to turn, like in 2.1, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and evil and all slander, because we have a, we have a race to run. And God has called us and Jesus has challenged us to run that race in holiness. So church, we, we have to wake up. Jesus always challenges us to, to our slumber. And I think there's ways in which Jesus, Jesus commends us about things we're doing well and then challenges us in ways that we're not doing so well. But we must be ready for action. It's just these negative things, these prohibitions for a Christian, uh, it's just reality to, to leading a holy life. There are things that we must stop. There are things we must repent of. There are things we must change. There are boundaries in the Christian life. Those are kind of the, the, the negative or the warning passages. Those push us toward uh, holiness. But that's not without the positive. If you grew up in an environment that was all negative, the positive benefits of the gospel are incredible. And we, and we talk about them in this text I mean, we've got this miraculous escape plan, and we see it starting in verse 18. Knowing that you were transformed from the feudal ways, inherited from your forefathers, original sin, it's just coming for us all. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, 
who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. That's the good news. That's the positive. You have a new identity. Verse 23 says, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. I mean, there's lots of good news. It's all good news. But we can't receive the good news unless we know that there's uh, bad news and that that we have an understanding that we live in this hostile world. But we've been delivered from a life of futility to a life of meaning. This idea that we've kind of escaped this generational curse, that we, we're no longer bound by what our fathers and forefathers did. That Jesus has broken the generational curse. Man, that is good news. So whatever your past is today, however hard it has been, whatever your family life has been, God has broken that generational curse. And man, that is good news. How many of us need to be freed from what our parents did or what our grandparents did or what Adam and Eve did? So to live in holiness is to understand, knowing that you were ransomed from these futile ways. So... If this generational sin is broken and you are not your past, then we forget what lies behind and we run uh, toward what lies ahead. And so verse 22 says, So love one another, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That love is rooted in gospel conversion. And if you're just here with us today and you're checking out biblical Christianity for the first time and you don't yet know what this love is, you don't yet know what conversion is, then stick with us, stick with us even in this text and you're going to hear about it. Now, for the Christians in the room, we know that without Christ, how do we really have love? The Bible says, because he first loved us. We have love. So it's rooted in this good news. The word is the good news preached to you. 24 through 25 says this. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So this word, this good news that we talk about every Sunday... Really, part of a preacher's job is to say, okay, well, how do we put that into practice? How do we input that into our lives? How do we get from fear to love? Because if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, there has to be some growth. If the fear of a parent is the beginning of a child's relationship with a parent, well, it's got to move toward love. So how do we get from fear to love? How do we grow up? Um... Verses 2 and 3 of chapter 2 tell us, and this is where we're going to kind of hang our hats today. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So growing up into salvation is necessary. Growth is absolutely necessary. It's not optional. Now, for many of us that have small kids, some of us say, oh, we just want them to stay small. They're so cute at this age. But there's some tension there because we have kids that uh, range from 23 to 6. And we can tell you that there's challenges in each age group. The little ones are great, but their feet stink (laughs) bad. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just ours and it could be our problem with sock selection or I don't know. And uh, and none of my kids are in here, so I can go really hard on this one. 
it's terrible. You just can't get over it. And many of you young mothers who are doing diapers and stinky feet, that season will end at some point, and that's a good thing. Uh, there's a great part of that. Rhonda and I were in double diapers for a decade, and so we understand the just diapers everywhere, sitting on every uh, flat place. There was there were diapers all in our home, and you want that season to end. And then they get a little older, they get a mind of their own, and they become teenagers, and you can talk to them, and they interact with you, and they have their own opinions. And man, that that's, that's, can be a challenging age too. Most of the parents that I know, their parents of teenagers, love their teenagers. They love this age, but they don't want them to be teenagers forever. And uh, it's usually the teenagers that are outside of our homes that give us the most grief, not the ones inside, but they can be mean. Teenagers just gossip. And uh, man, it, that's hard. Uh, and we want them to kind of move on. You must grow up into salvation. I think it was Eleanor Roosevelt who said that, uh, that great minds talk about uh, big ideas. Uh, average minds talk about events. And small minds talk about people. And uh, I think that sums up eighth grade pretty well. So we want them to grow. We want, we, we want to grow. You must grow up into salvation. You know, uh, salvation is not just a one-time thing. We were saved. We are being saved daily, and we, we will be saved at the end. God will persevere us to the end. So that justification, sanctification, glorification, that is a process of salvation. Justification happens once. But the rest of it, where God keeps us in His will, that He keeps us in salvation, that's something that the Holy Spirit guides, that He perseveres us, and it's a lifetime of listening to things like this. It's not passive. It says, uh, the Scripture says, like newborn infants, you must long for the spiritual milk. Now, nursing mothers know what this means. A child has to nurse or the child will die. And so early on in the, in the process, after a baby's been born, as quick as you can, you've got to get the baby eating. And when a baby's hungry, man, they're longing for it, and they're going nuts, and they're just, uh, I can't, I've, I've got to be careful. I can't really describe all of this, but nursing mothers know what I'm talking about, and husbands of nursing mothers know what I'm talking about. And the baby is just created to long for spirit, for milk. Now, God has created us to long for spiritual milk because passive eat is not a passive thing. You, babies are going for it when they're, when, they're, uh, when they're desiring milk because passive eaters will die. They have to be good eaters. And this is the most important thing that we do at Hope Church. Spiritual milk, the Word, God's Word, the preaching of God's Word is the most important thing we do. And that doesn't mean just here in this moment, in this setting, but, but preaching of the gospel, you to your neighbor, uh, us to you on a Sunday morning. It's the most important thing we do because people's lostness is the most important problem in the world. And so the preaching of God's word is the most important thing that we can do. We take it very seriously. It's why we went to seminary. And seminary is not just a class in high school that you get out and get a little credit for in high school. We're talking about, you know, master's degree. It takes a few years to do. Ben is getting his doctorate right now. That's very important. We don't talk about that a lot because he's very humble. It's not about letters behind a name. It's about how do I, be, how do I properly understand God's word 
so that we can feed. Because feeding is the most important thing that we're talking about. So the primary importance of preaching is critical, and we make no apologies for that at Hope Church. There's lots of good things that Hope Church is going to engage in. We're going to help the poor because Jesus told us to remember the poor. We're going to do lots of things, but the primary position of preaching, of feeding the Word to you and you feeding it to others, is the most important thing that we can do at Hope Church. So it's not the importance of the preacher. It's not because Ben is great and he's nice and he'll help you move. It's because he's giving you God's word. That's the, that's the most important uh, thing we do. And uh, occasionally we'll, we'll hear someone. I heard, I heard someone once say that they just didn't feel like they were being fed. You'll hear that in ministry life. We hear it a good bit. Uh, and there was a particular um, person that had said this recently, was not at Hope Church, but for a minute, and, and really had heard a lot about us making disciples and planting churches, and wanted to be fed, uh, and made this comment that some churches in our valley are good at bringing in new people, but not so good at feeding. Well, that's a false dichotomy. Our mission is to give life to as many people as God would lead us to. So the question then is, are you feeding or are you feeding? So I'm going to switch metaphors a little bit. The writer of Hebrews talks about milk and meat. Now, most scholars do not believe that Peter wrote Hebrews. The Holy Spirit wrote it all. But these are not absolutely consistent uh, metaphors. But let me try to switch real quick to Hebrews 5, 12 through 14, which says this. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. And so there's many of you, Hope Church, uh, who might be nourished but need to be nourishing someone else. There's maybe some of you that are here and you, you're just beginning to hear the word of God. You're just beginning to get pure spiritual milk. But there's others of you that could already be teaching our kids and hope kids. You could already be sharing the gospel with your neighbor. Because as we teach you to do that, then you are being fed. You're growing, according to the Scripture, in the ways in which God would have you to grow. And especially in verse 3, if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. So God will use you as He grows you up. And then occasionally we also run into some people that say, well, you know, I don't, really, I don't really need church. They may say that by their actions or they may actually say it as an explicit statement. But I don't, really, I, don't really need, I don't really need church. You know, I, I come every once in a while. I have my Bible. I have my worship music. I go up to the mountains. That's kind of my church. I don't really need church. But have you ever thought that we might need you? I mean, all the time. I can't tell you how many times I've wished... I could introduce a guest to someone I know here at Hope Church with a similar background. Oh, these people would hit it off, but they're not here. And it may be that they're not here for a month. Now, that does not mean that people don't travel, and that's fine. But if you're, if you're, if you're here, we, we, we need you. Can you imagine? The, the Bible talks about the body and how if the body, when working properly, works as a body could. Well, the good news is we got all kinds of people that serve at Hope Church. We're very grateful. Uh, we've got, we have a serving church, and we have a generous church. 
Uh, so this is not for most people, but uh, for some people that aren't maybe serving at all or not interested in, in connecting in the community, can you imagine if a body part was not working or if half your body just wasn't working properly? Well, you can imagine you'd be crippled. You would cripple. You'd be lame or you'd cripple the church. And so we want to make sure that we're receiving the spiritual milk, that we're listening to God's word and being grown up in holiness. There is no substitute for God's word. There is no uh, substitute for this pure spiritual milk. There's no almond, there's no oat, there's just one kind. And if you're lactose intolerant, I don't want to stretch this metaphor too far. Uh, we've got a, a, a shortage of baby formula right now. And people globally, all the headlines are, how are people going to feed all these babies? We've got this huge shortage. I'm like, well, I know another way that that can happen. Now, I don't want to dismiss people that have, that they're all pure formula and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but the, there's a song by a guy in 1977, Johnny Guitar Watson. Uh, I don't know if I should tell this or not, but Johnny Guitar Watson, I'm, I'm revealing maybe too much, but Johnny Guitar Watson has this, this song, and it's, it's bemoaning the economy. 77, there were very similar things happening. The job market was different, though. The jobs were really tough. There was racial strife. Uh, gasoline was very expensive. Uh, uh, and he's got a little line in that song where he says, uh, they're making milk out of powder. It's got the babies crying. And occasionally when I hear one of these uh, headlines, I'll say that. And then my wife, without even thinking, she'll say, oh, poor babies. They don't know what that stuff is because that's a little line that he says in the song. And we get a good laugh about it. Uh, but there is no substitute for God's word. There's no other option. There's no other route to holiness. Now, for those of you that don't understand the concept of holiness, let me also say that holiness is not perfection. We're all sinners. There's no perfection in this room. It's not perfection. Pure spiritual milk is growing up into salvation. It's not based upon your performance, but it's your identity as a child of the one who performed on your behalf. So kind of like a dancer who spins, they look for a focal point on a wall so they don't get too dizzy. And so they're, they're doing ballet spins. I'm not exactly sure what those are properly called, but they find a focal point on the wall. And as they spin, they look at the wall. In the same way, this text's focal point is always Jesus. We're always looking back to what Jesus is saying. We're always looking back to who he is. And in 2, 4, and 5, it says, and as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, watch this, through Jesus Christ. So whatever it is, whatever way we serve, the Bible says whatever you do, eat or drink, do it to the glory of God. That all goes through the filter of what Christ has already done for you. And so we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about having a heart of repentance. Really, Jesus teaches us that daily, daily, we're supposed to pray to him. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. That means Jesus' expectation is that you be holy and his expectation is that you will sin every day. And as you're repenting of that sin, that's what draws you, drives you 
to holiness. Hebrews 13, 15 says this. If you've got that one, Dan. Through him, through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. We have a gospel to share and we're purified as we share it. As we talk about the greatness, the excellencies of Christ. 2, 9 through 10 says, You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That is such good news. We are a holy people with a holy purpose by the grace of God. And so when salvation begins, when you're born again, that's kind of your person. That happens between you and God. That's who you are. And then as you grow, you become a family. You love each other. You serve each other. You become this beautiful family. And then the family goes and does things together. We have a purpose and a calling that God has given us in the Great Commission. So we're a holy people with a holy purpose. And that means in verse 11, there are some things we're going to abstain from. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Man, this is a hostile world. When you become a Christian, your life is not going to get easier. When you decide you're going to love people and serve people, your life will not get easier. It will get harder. We live in a hostile world. The question is, who do we want to please? Do we want to please man or do we want to please God? As we serve each other, as we love each other, and as we bond together like a holy people. Now, at Hope Church, we've got a lot of gifts at Hope Church. I say we're a 10-talent church. I mean, when somebody can preach like Ben and somebody can sing like Lucy or Kelsey, when somebody can pray like Rania, when somebody can play the drums like Kyle, I mean, we, we look at these people and we say, well, I can't do those things. You're not supposed to. God has given you unique gifts as a holy priesthood to give this pure spiritual milk to others. And there's no one that can do it like you. There's no one that has the relationships that you have. And so finally in verse 12 it says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This day of visitation uh, is talking about Jesus' return. It's talking about the day of judgment. It is coming. And as exiles, we have a holy calling, and we have a holy calling to warn people. Just this week, I got back from Orlando. I was at the International Mission Board trustee meeting. I have the great honor of praying for uh, missionaries that we partner with all around the globe for the glory of the gospel. And I stood in a room with 800 missionaries. It was this huge, long uh, banquet room. 75 of those missionaries were just returning after spending 30, 40, 50 years in Thailand or Cambodia or India or Africa in all of these far-flung places. And they were all gathered together and they were laughing and telling stories and their stories were wild. They were not your normal stories. And they had a certain color of lanyard. And I would just go around and I'd plop myself next to all these people telling these, all these great stories. And this was a beautiful picture of a holy nation, a royal priesthood, on a mission for God. And in that mission, they found the greatest joy. And many of them had hardships. Some of them were imprisoned. Some of them buried children overseas. 
Some of them had problems that you and I have no connection to at all. And yet, they were filled with joy and contentment because they were a holy people. There's 7.7 billion people on this planet. And there's all kinds of little 7 billion videos that you can watch right now. And some of them talk about the lack of resources. And some of them talk about different kinds of challenges. But I can tell you this. There's 157,690 people based upon missiological research that are dying daily without Christ. That's two every second. Two every second. And so I just wonder, I just wonder when those missionaries... And this is a question that I would ask them. When did they stop being selfish and they replaced their fear of man with the fear of God and they started caring about others more than themselves? And they would tell you it's only the grace of God. It's really just an abiding. They all had the same answer. I just stayed in God's word. I stayed in God's word. I clung close to Christ and he was so gracious to me. It's this pure spiritual milk that we must have so that we can reach a lost and dying world. So Hope Church, I pray that we would do that. I pray that we would uh, never be internally focused, but we would be externally focused on the mission that God's called us to do and that we would find Him making us repentant, making us holy as we go. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank You so much for Your holiness, God. You are different. You are so different from us, God. You are holy in the perfect way. You have never sinned. And you call us in Christ to be blameless, to be repenting of sin every day, to be a holy people on mission with you. And so, God, I pray that we would do that. I pray that you would fill us with your spirit so that we could daily say, forgive us, Father, forgive us our trespasses and help us to forgive those who have trespassed against us so that we can be a holy people on mission with you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <laughs>